Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefight mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Dear Genius Leader, I'm so happy, humbled, and honored to present you today's guest, Anne Pedeblix, who is the technology entrepreneur with over two decades of experience in CEO roles in different international companies covering various industries. Arne is also an experienced investor, board member, chairman, and he brings all these fantastic, diverse experiences from different roles of his into today's conversation. And I am humbled and honored to have Arne on the show because I know him as a client. So I've been working with him around two, one and a half years ago when he was at the crossroads in his career. And it was a an amazing experience to get to know this fantastic human being and professional who is so passionate, so honest, so value-driven, and very humbling to be able to help him. I just look up to Arne so much, and I'm so grateful that he found the time for this conversation, knowing how busy he is, because we keep staying in touch since uh, we worked together. So right now, Arne is the CEO of CL Invest a company that finances, manages, and monetizes emission reduction projects in emerging markets. And Arne is covering his journey from different CEO roles, from starting as the CEO and early parent and not taking a parental leave, and then going into working now at CL Invest and being able to let go of control and build such an amazing team that he trusts, that he actually can go on a boys trip to Spain and golf with his friends in the midst of super intense, complicated and complex negotiation for his company. And this is a journey that I really want you to hear about. Whether you are an aspiring entrepreneur, whether you are wearing those shoes at the moment, you also hear our discussions about what investors can do to better support founders and why Arne believes that Investing in coaching or some kind of mental health support for founding teams in their portfolio is preventative maintenance and actually can be seen as insurance premium by the investors. So there are a lot of different topics that we cover in this conversation, and I know that you'll have a lot of insights from that. And before I hop into the conversation, I just want to remind you that if you need to hear that today, I feel you, I see you, I love and appreciate you. And I do believe that you can let go of control, just like Arne has learned to do as well. Enjoy the conversation and see you on the other side. Arne, warmest welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much, Anna. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I always love our conversations since the time we met and through the times we worked together and how we have kept in touch with each other afterwards. So thank you so much for finding time. I know how crazy your schedule is so this is very honorable for me or i'm all very honored to have this time to share your wisdom with my audience uh, the feeling is mutual it's a pleasure and uh, you you were there for me in an important junction and um, because of that i've also decided to keep you uh, in the loop from time to time and and um, this is the 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 focus you have is just growing more and more important. Uh, and um, it so happens with my background from the Navy, et cetera, where, where the human factor is the key factor. Everyone is starting to more and more understand this. And therefore, I've decided to make sure that uh, this remains on the top of, or one of the top things on my agenda at all times. And therefore, that's why um, it's very easy to say yes and uh, you being on the show with you is part of paying forward. So the feeling is mutual. I appreciate that. You said that it becomes more and more uh, on top of mind or, or important to discuss the human aspects. Why do you think it's the, the case? 
<laughs> well, I've been um, a tech uh, CEO for 20 years now, and I've also, from my time on submarines, I've been a techie. But I'm also a business and a financial guy. And um, today, everyone talks about chat GDP. Everyone understands that we are um, becoming transhumans. We are having apps all around us. We have more and more general AI around us, and we will. It will become more and more uh, a guide and assistance to us. But we are human. And um, when the machines take over more of the work around us, our skill is to be more human. And we need to talk about that. And uh, to be human is to be complex. And it's to be, um, we have a lot of bias. We have a lot of things that changes us. And we, we have moods and emotions. And um, this, in you know, it's, results in bad decisions, good decisions, biased decisions. And uh, in my work, I make decisions with very little information and very, very high risk. And um, therefore, even more so, the human factor becomes more and more important. But it's not easier. It's difficult. And the more you dive into it, the more complex we find that we are. And I think that's probably the fascinating part of the subject as well. We are... um, to err is, is human, right? Mm. So how do we err? Yeah, you, you and your philosophy, uh, thoughts or philosophic thoughts. What is your general mood or feeling about the tech development right now? You're t- talking about that AI will be omnipresent. It's inevitable. Uh, there is so much conversation about that nowadays. What is your take on that? Are you positive about that development? Uh, skeptical, negative? I, I, I'm becoming, I think, more and more of a, um, I'm an optimist, but not a blind optimist. It's more like, um, I wouldn't say conservative optimist, but uh, educated optimist. So you sort of don't have the ooh, shiny um, that quick uh, anymore, which we, which a lot of people had when, when uh, well, various new technology pops up. Everyone thinks it's going to solve the planet, and then you end up with the, a Bitcoin hairdresser, or you end up with, <laughs> you know, or or uh, there are so many, so many strange visions of the future. It doesn't happen overnight. But the uh, internet revolution was quite quick. If you depends on how long timeline you're looking at. If you look at the industrial revolution and all of those steps and where we are now, yeah. The changes are quicker, and ChatGDP will, of course, and OpenAI and these these tools. We're all used to Googling, and the transition from Googling to talking or having a conversation with your computer, first by writing, but later verbally, um, will come natural for us and even more natural for my kids. So I, I think uh, I remain a technology optimist, but... Um, I hope I'm becoming more of a realist as to how quick or how slow things happen. And everyone thought that tokens and uh, fungible tokens and NFTs, etc., they think that this will change the world as we know it. But then you're not really taking into account how big a monster the uh, the fiat economy, the the, the real uh, money economy is. So I try to understand the world in which we live. But I also have to admit that I'm, I'm, I'm not cynical, but I'm, I lived in Moneyline, the Philippines, before I was 30. And I was not the same person when I com- came back. And I lived in Panama, and I've been traveling to more um, emerging markets. And now I'm back working in these emerging markets. And um, there's a big variety in the world of um, what is fast, what is slow, and what evolution takes time. So, um, yeah, I'm... I love to to um, paraphrase Churchill, as you probably know by now. And um, one of them is I choose to remain an optimist because everything else seems rather pointless. But um, not a naive and blind optimist. I like I like the expression how you said educated optimist, and that's I think what we need much more of right now in the conversations that we're having about the tech development and what it means for us as humanity and what it will mean for us to be humans in this world. So it's a fascinating conversation. But I invited you <laughs> for the other reasons. <laughs> and that is your experiences, the CEO, the board member, and the investor. And I want to cover a bit of everything of those uh, in this conversation because I do feel like you have very valuable insights in those worlds. You've been on 
all the sides of the table and you know the struggles and you have very constructive ideas of what to do with those struggles from different perspectives. So shall we just start with your experience as the CEO? You said that you've been a tech CEO for 20 years. What are the highlights of, of that journey for you? Well, I, I think we all come from a different place. And um, one of the benefits I've had is that I come from technology, um, but I quite quickly transcended into uh, business finance and, um, and running businesses. But I did uh, enough deep tech dive to be able to discuss even the most complex technology with the experts. And uh, that has given me the ability to communicate with founders, with pioneers of many different uh, technologies, many different um, trends, and, um, and then iterate with them and help you know, business develop, productize, go to market, actually commercialize and grow. So you know, that wouldn't have been possible if I couldn't actually speak the tech language and be able to earn the trust of the founders that they understand that I understand their baby. They're the father or mother of the baby, but, uh, but uh, unless they see that I actually think the baby is pretty, and most of these babies don't, they're not pretty when I see them at first, <laughs> but I see it that they can become pretty, you know, so I, I can identify the ugly ducklings at an early stage and see how we together can make a swarm out of it. And um, that's a journey. It's a fantastic journey because uh, for me, I think the most rewarding has been curiosity, my curiosity and any founder, any inventor, any person who have the ability, that unique ability, which I would never claim to have. I'm a typical co-founder. So, but I'm this co-founder, sparring partner, uh, who with enormous amount of iterations, curiosity and uh, interest, and you know anyone who can get someone next to them who show deep interest in what they do, then you bond and you bond at a very deep level. And uh, and for me, that has been very rewarding over so many different journeys because. It sort of rubs off, you know, these people are super smart. I think I'm more of a smart communicator or, or, or partly, partly intuitive and partly able to combine all these things into something that can go from the idea stage or from the prototype stage to actually solve problems and do it in a way that is commercially viable. So, so um, those journeys are phenomenal and uh, very rewarding um, because uh, I couldn't do what they do. And they typically, when, when the match is good, they see that I can do things that they can't do. So I know so many founders, I, I know so, so many founders who are on that more innovator tech side who needs, need their earner by their side to actually bring their babies to the world and show like, hey, this is actually creating value for you and solving some of your problems. So Lucky you that you managed to find those uh, co-founders with whom you you were able to bond. And well, you mean lucky them who was able to find me, right? <laughs> that as well. <laughs> that is actually, I think that's more <laughs> the other way around. I'm just joking. It, it is, uh, and sometimes it works great and sometimes it doesn't. And um, I have had mostly very positive experiences, but you do expose yourself to potential pain and potential struggle because these iterations can be there can there has to be friction how can Tell me more. two how do two sharp stones become uh, round so they can roll you know they have to tip each other and they you know sometimes they have to be tough and um, and and um, two founders that I have been close to have passed way too early in their days so you know you're you're um, it's not easy but um it's i think it's a very rewarding um, relationship which is well it, it's so many things you know it's um, you're part of the solution you're you can help i think you have to have a strong desire in your personality that you feel helping is rewarding and that helping is purposeful and um, not all people are like that you 
mentioned the uh, that two of the founders you worked with left us way too early. And I got to think about the family context of uh, what I discussed with my therapist is that uh, one of my biggest fears is that my something happens to my husband. And I think one of the reasons for that fear is because we I was motivated or I wanted to become a mother because I would be growing up or raising this child together with my husband. We're such a great team. I saw how he interacted with the kids and I really wanted to bring up uh, a child in that environment together. So thinking that my, something would happen to him, I have this fear like I didn't sign up for this myself, like to do this alone. And I can't just help myself but think that how how is that journey for you when you sign up to grow a business where livelihoods of people depend on your work with your co-founder together and then something happens, something that tragic happens. How do you continue with that? And, and how do you find strength and resilience to to go through that experience? Well, in, in this case, it was very clear. I mean, we were four guys who started in 2002. And um, already during the first three months, um, Hans Martin, who was the founder, he, uh, he had the recurrence of cancer. And uh, it became very clear, very, very fast, that um, he couldn't be the CEO. So I came in as the commercial guy and uh, immediately take over as CEO. But he, he, he was with us for another three years or four, four years, four, four and a half. But we, and we melted together a bit. I had some time to familiarize myself with the idea that he might be gone at some point. But of course, when it happened, it was, um, and, and we had tough struggles before then. We had um, one of the other of the co-founders had a child who became very ill. So all of a sudden, I was like a Tom and Jerry running around the, the doing the whole, uh, playing the whole orchestra, almost all instruments by yourself for a while. But then by the time Hans Martin actually passed, we were uh, growing business in super speed. And um, it was, it wasn't the call of duty for the employees. I have to admit it was, we were, you know, we were growing fast and we were on that streak. So it was more to see how far can we go and how far could I you know, I, I sort of felt Hans Martin was um, still watching and still um, not directly communicating with me, but uh, um, I knew a lot of his network and his friends and his family. And um, it was obvious that uh, I should try to take this as far as we could. And, um, and um, so that was more out of being grateful for the journey and, and a bit of a sorrow of having someone that close um, to you who, who left, that was tough, but um, it was natural. It was very natural. And um, I think uh, the whole team, my management team and the, the family that we had created together, while he was still there, it became a fond memory. He became a fond memory and a bit of a legacy and um, good stories and good jokes. And these people, most of the um, founders I have met are unique. Uh, they in there they have their intricacies, uh, idiosyncrasies. Uh, but, uh, and again, if you don't love people, you shouldn't manage them. Why is that? Because um, it, it's I'm not saying it's like parenting, uh, but if you care for your people, you can't baby them all the time. If you really care for your people, you also give them some of the guidance that they need, and some of that they will resist, or they will disagree, or they will. And, and your job is not to coo them. And, and so here's, here's a story. Several times, and this almost happens in every company, even here in this company. So uh, employees, listen, they will probably, some of them will see this. You know, you have the vision, the mission, the values, the typical strategic kickoff seminar where you get a team together and you discuss these things and where are we going to go? Where are we? What's the problem? Diagnose medicine, you know. And then it Who's, what's the job of this? Who's the job of that? Who delegates milestones, deliverables? And then, and Arne, what, what's your job? You're the CEO. And then I've seen this more times happen. They, someone will go up and write on the board along with them, CEO, colon, keep the employees happy. And then they, everyone will laugh and yeah, super agreed. And then I will say, I will walk up and I will inject the word reasonably <laughs> into that sentence. Keep the employees reasonably happy. And that is the same you do with your kids. You can't have your kids uh, happy all the time. You can't, have, if you're the coach of a team, a football team, whatever team, 
you, they can't be happy all the time. You have to tell them when, when things are not going, this is not good enough. You know, you have to be able to tell them this, but you also have to tell them why. And you have to do that with care and with love and with empathy. And if you don't, then you're, then you're not uh, the managing director. Then you're the benevolent or malignant, uh, well, not dictator maybe, but you're both somewhat that too. So, you know, um, and of course, yeah, there is difference between type of businesses and type of culture. But um, uh, in the businesses that I have been allowed to run, highly competent people. And you can't necessarily always tell them what to do unless they agree or understand. So this is Confucius, you know, this is uh, involve me and I will understand. And to involve, you have to take that extra care, take that extra job, extra effort to sit down and say, Anna, well, you know, you are a great mind shifter, but, you know, maybe you should think a bit about then things will, and, you know, and that, that takes time and, and you can't do that unless the other person believes you that your intentions are good. You can't fake that. Even though so many people try. What would you say? Yeah, you, I would say you, you shouldn't fake that. <laughs> no, that's it will bite you discussion. in the back, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And from your experience, those founders who, who have the passion to build a business, but they maybe don't have this passion for people or love for people, should they be founders at all? Should If yes, then how can they get out of the way of their people and, and what kind of constellation should they build around themselves? So those who haven't read uh, Steve Jobs, the white book about Steve Jobs, the biography, it's not an autobiography. And um, he was obviously very smart. But the description in that book about him is complex. People who, I think everyone I've asked who have actually read it and not just say that they've read it, they would agree that um, he wasn't necessarily a nice guy in some senses of this world. Very smart and uh, for some type of people, perfect. But I'm sure that many people would find him not to be a, a nice guy. And to be a CEO is not to be the CTO, the architect. It's not to be a lot of other things. You're the bearer of the culture. You're responsible for the culture to go in the right direction. I'm involved in board work now where we're actually debating whether the board is actually responsible for the culture of the company, which I would agree. But it's the culture bearer is the CEO. The CEO needs to make the culture in, into what the board and the owners want it to be. So if you want a meat grinder and you want to have a really tough place to work where we squeeze every little iota out of the employees, I can... I wouldn't enjoy it. I'm not, not the right guy to manage that sort of a company, but um, the CEO who takes that job, he, he should, that's the marching orders, and okay, but it should be an honest thing. So founders are most of the time, most founders are, you know, are tech founders or they are, are they special charismatic or they, but they, normally they have special skills of some ways, some sort. And those special skills are more often than not not related to managing people, not related to managing a company, even. They have a great idea or they have great skills or talents or they have various other positive attributes which makes them the evangelist founder or whatever. But uh, to be the CEO is a difficult job. It is a demanding job which takes away most of your ability to be innovative or to be, um, there are so many things you shouldn't do as the CEO, which people need to recognize. It's not just a fantastic title. It actually comes with the job of telling people you don't fit here or sorry, you're, you can't get a higher salary because um, you're not worth it. Or actually, we don't need you or want you anymore, or we don't, we can't afford you anymore. So you have to leave. I know it's going to hurt you, and I know it's going to hurt your family, and I know you can't pay for your kids, but sorry, that's not my problem. I'm running a business here, and we just have to let you go. Now, those are tough discussions, and they can give you sleepless nights. They should give you sleepless nights. If not, you're not really, I think, doing your job well. But if they give you too many sleepless nights, then you can't do the job either. So you're actually walking a knife edge. And if you're going to walk that knife edge, you can't innovate, you can't code, you can't 
do the magic uh, of being creative or whatever is the key skill of this particular founder or founders. They can also work. I'm also right now working with a company that has three founders, which is phenomenal. Three Mm -hmm. founders. And they're not co-founders. They're three founders. Fantastic. You know, it is. And very rewarding and uh, opens up a lot of different perspectives. But yeah, so so being the CEO as chief executive officer, I typically, sometimes I joke when I say I'm not a chief executive officer, I'm a chief execution officer. What's the difference? And, that, uh, and I don't mean execution in the, ter- in the <laughs> terminal you sense. Don't cut off. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a, but I mean getting shit done. I mean hmm. getting things done and, and uh, making decisions and um, making decisions is um, you need the proper respect and the proper experience and you give it the proper attention that it requires not more not less and uh, decisions for a CEO a day for a CEO and a, and a business that is growing and a business that is fast you can you can do 10 50 or 100 decisions every day if it's flow and fast and things are happening some are small, some are big, etc. But it is, um, and and you have to make decisions when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're angry. Don't show it so much, but you're a human being, and uh, you also will have that in you. And if you don't have that in you, if you don't have that fire in you, I don't think you'll be a good CEO either, because you, you have to have a driving force of some sort. But it, it can't come out in shouting and screaming or hitting. It, it has to come out somewhere else. So work out, for example, like you and I discussed, Tama. And um, I was working out this morning. And uh, not to brag, it's just to let up steam and um, rebalance yourself, those things. And that's part. Of, that's the key part, I think, for being a CEO, is you have to try to stay balanced and have residual capacity for rational thinking when everything else is uh, up and down and moving around and uh, things are a bit off. I want to pause you here for a moment. You said about it, like you said, I worked out today not to brag. And this is something that I appreciate that you say, because this sounds like a common, or from my observations, it's a common thing among the founders and passionate CEOs who pour so much into their idea, into building a successful company, into providing jobs for, for people and, and great workplaces for people. But they always feel guilty to go and take care of themselves. And I really am happy that you started working out, that you have that pity that this has become this has become a non-negotiable for you and that you talk about it openly, that it's okay and you survive and you're still the CEO and the company keeps growing and people seem to be happy <laughs> while you are also happier and healthier uh, both within your work and outside of it. So thank you for well, you know, that. sure, and and uh, I, 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 it was my first big CEO, yeah, first my big CEO job when when I got children, and I wish I could have done that again mm-hmm. because um, I was a very poor example for my employees. I didn't take paternity leave as much as I should. I almost didn't take any. I should have done that. Poor prioritization, and uh, but I was in this bubble, you know. I'm the founder. I have the legacy. I'm carrying it. My co-founder, my my my, my founder. I, I'm the sorry. I'm the co-founder. My 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 founder died on me, and uh, I have to make this work. I have to. I have to. I have to. I will. I shall. I must. And um, it's a bit obsessive, you know. And um, now, good example. Two weeks ago, we have been in the middle of a very heavy negotiation, which has taken a long time. It's a very complex, multi-market, multi-partner, multi-country, very complex deal. And um, in right in the middle of it, I just understand, you know, I have to do the planned. I thought we were going to be done. Now the um, annual boys trip is coming up, and uh, if this was my first CEO job, I would have canceled the boys trip and, and, and kept on and kept at it. Instead, I talked to my chairman and he is experienced. And um, I had, you know, people, so I shared the problem with him and with some others. And I said, and they said, no, 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 you have to also take, you know, th- this could take another two weeks. So if 
you feel like this, no, we, we plan differently. And we, we just split different tasks and even tasks that I really felt that I had to do. And uh, we just agreed, no, it has, this will happen again later on some other time. And we might as well just try it now and um, make sure that, uh, so we'll, 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 we'll take this. We got the ball. You go ahead. You actually go to Spain with your friends and go golfing. And and to to do that was almost unnatural for me because I was going to have a good time and relax, whilst the other guys are going to work their ass off day and night to to do what I in the kitchen where I should be in the kitchen, you know. Mm. And um, that worked fine. What did what What's your lesson from that? Because I could imagine that some founders or CEOs go through the, some experience like that if they manage to let go of control. And they feel like, oh, so I'm not as indispensable. And they make that mean something negative about themselves in their roles. How was your experience well, golfing in Spain? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah true. Yeah, they, they can feel that way. They're not so important. Or you can feel, oh, there's a risk. I could be uh, redundant because you're letting go of control. And so you're not needed as much. So it takes, and this is where... I would just say to everyone who's listening here, um, get yourself a mentor, get yourself a good board, get yourself some people who are more experienced to talk to because letting go is, and this is what I've, again, with all the founders I've been working with, letting go and not letting go itis and the ability to delegate and actually trust someone else to do the job for you and That takes experience and skill and it takes guts because you are make, showing your vulnerabilities. You're mm -hmm. sort of saying, guys, I really could need to spend three days now with these guys and just let this go for a while. Can you take it? Can you take the ball? And yeah, you can call me if the, if it's really bad, but, um, you know, but yeah, of course. Well, a lot of the time, you don't feel you have those people around you. And this is the typical underpowered, money-starved situation that a lot of founders have, that you don't have someone to give it to. You don't have your significant other or that significant other died on you. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? So sometimes you can be in those, and I've been in those situations, and that's, that's also what happens. Um, I've had this also in the Navy. And I think a lot of the experience I have from that time in the Navy is something you unfortunately don't learn at business school. You don't learn it at founder school. You don't learn it um, at home or with your friends because there you actually learn to let go. You learn to trust other people with your life. Now, then you you exercise a lot together, you work a lot, you live together, you're on a crew, on a team, on a boat or uh, in, in the army or whatever, but then you learn these things and then you become a tight team. And then you know that it's safe to let go. And this is what I've achieved here very quickly because the board is so experienced and people around me are so experienced. We're a young, very fast-going company, but um, even those tests, we are right now in the middle of... Um, a hot, hot kitchen, uh, able to do. And, and it's the best thing I think is we discussed it and we said, yeah, let's test it because it's going to happen sooner or later. So we might as well just go. And that takes uh, experience to make those calls. And that's why I'm saying those who are listening here, find people around you where you, whom you can have that sort of discussion. And the sooner you learn how to delegate, delegate or die. And it's a slow death because you don't delegate and you get, more and more tight and more and more stressed and um, you have more and more discomfort and you're more and more a big risk for everyone to burn out. This is a powerful message, I would say, Arne, to share with the founders, delegate or die. And just today I was on a call with another very experienced entrepreneur and uh, advisor to, uh, to startups and to investor. And he was in that situation. He's like, I need to delegate more because right now I'm just doing too much myself thinks that he shouldn't be doing at his level with his experience and his teams. So it's it's a lengthy process and it's a very important one because it's it can be death of the company, it can be death of the product, it can be death of literally of, of people. So it's very important to emphasize that and have it on top of mind, whatever you're building. I totally agree. You said about this, uh, compared those experiences of you being the first in your first big CEO role 
and being a young father and now going golfing in Spain in the middle of this important and complex negotiations. I hear so many interviews where guests experienced uh, entrepreneurs are asked, like, what would you have done better if you, or what would you advise to 18, 25 year old yourself? And whenever I listen to those, I understand that if, for example, I ask you and you talk to 25 year old Arne talking about those things, that Arne would hear it or, or, but not listen to it. I feel like we do need to go through the struggles anyways and have our bumps <laughs> and make our own mistakes. But how can we, who are members of this ecosystem, make it easier, make those bumps a bit less destructive maybe for the founders? Or do you think that we should just, you know, smile and wave and, and watch <laughs> on the sideways? What can we do there? So I've been chairman a few times now. And uh, I know several of these cases and, and, and also with companies where the CEO was much younger than me or even considerably older than me. And um, still to be able to be directed honest enough as the chair or as one of the board members or as the mentor to, to persist and tell the individual, here is the diagnosis. This is the diagnosis and here's the medicine. No, no, no. I hear what you're saying. You're going to do it yourself. You're not listening to me. But the diagnosis is this and the medicine is that. And um, so the best thing you can do as a founder is to surround yourself with experienced people whom you listen to. And this is the clue, right? You need to have people you respect who you listen to. And this I had, not on my board, but one of my mentors back in the days, he is now in his late 80s. And every time I see him, last Thursday at a very prestigious dinner here in Oslo, I met him again and I go over and I shake his hand and I thank him every time because uh, he asked nothing of me. Well, indirectly, we have had mutual benefit because... I've been taking on some of the values and some of the, but uh, not for any monetary or whatever benefit. And um, but uh, his benefit was to be in a position where he could help, and he enjoyed helping. And uh, he he's such a phenomenal, very respected, and uh, you know he he is a super accomplished uh, international businessman. And uh, and uh, when I brought him in, and the, the question was really, what do we do? Do we take this offer from this VC or do we continue on our own? Um, we have these agreements with some of the biggest banks in Europe. We're growing great. We have profitable growth. Everything is super. I'm not so sure if these guys from the venture capital, blah, 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 can help us grow. And this was before startups was really, you know, in a mature state. This was in 2009. And um, I had really no one to ask. No one on my board knew better. And uh, my founder was gone. And uh, the rest of us, we knew what we knew, but we were 100% employee-owned. So we we didn't have... So yeah, so I, I then I asked him and um, he came to the office several times. We had a couple of serious talks and he never gave me the solution, just like you did, you know. You never gave me the solution, but you were an excellent sparring partner and helped me help myself and help us help. Really, you know, sorting the thinking. And this was done not as a consultant paid by the hour, because then you can sometimes think maybe you're here to get more hours. And it wasn't, you know, so it was just out of pure... I knew that his intentions were good. And this is the clue, right? And when you trust the doctor, you can take the medicine. I want this to, to land for the listeners. When you trust the doctor, you can take the medicine. This is maybe what is a big reason for why so much advice is not followed by the founders. Yes. Because it's given by the people who haven't gained that trust to be yes. listened to. That trust, that respect, that the person has the experience, the knowledge, but also that the person's motives and incentives are benevolent to you. Yeah. You know? That and you don't that, think that I prescribe part, you this medicine that I don't have an I have agenda an you don't see or I have, a, you know, that I'm actually just coming here with honest, good advice uh, to your benefits. And um, I don't have a hidden agenda. 
I'm not going to screw you over. I'm not going to take your job. I'm not going to fire you. I'm not going to get shares for cheap or uh, da make an easy buck. I'm actually trying to help you. So valuable to have these people. Yeah. And that's you when, um, yeah. So that's when, um, that's what we in my world call the fine spirit of the seas. And um, the fine spirit of the seas is really most easily understood that um, by the law of the sea, and I'm a former captain at sea, both underwater and on the, on the surface. And um, when you, when the sea is calm and the weather is nice, it's wonderful. But uh, the sea can be a terrible place, ferocious place. It can be uh, the most scary place on the planet and if it's really angry. And then you will find no matter how big a ship you have, it's small. Mm. And uh, when you're out there alone and you get in trouble, the law of the sea actually commands you. You have to help. And therefore, in the fine spirit of the sea, if you are in a position to help, you have a certain obligation to help. But uh, will the patient take the medicine? That depends on how smart the patient is. And, of course, um, how good the, the bridge tr of trust, the bond of trust is between the patient and the doctor. I, I'm not trying to say I'm the doctor here. I'm, I'm, I'm just, this is just a metaphor. But, uh, but um, if you don't trust the advisor, you're not going to listen to the advisor. Don't waste the advisor's time. Don't waste your time. Don't waste the money. You mentioned advisors and uh, also the VC, and, the, and you have been on that journey on both sides, being invested or backed by, by investments, but also investing yourself in a number of companies. I want to discuss a bit more now to wrap up. What can investors do? Where can they do a better job of supporting the founders on the journey to the success? We, we wrote this piece with you recently about what investors could do and we addressed a couple of the common objections that investors do when it comes to the mental health of the founding team. Let's just voice a couple of those. What what do you see as the low hanging fruits for investors to to support the founders better? Well, first of all, the founders, the CEO, the management team, they are the most valuable players. The IP is the IP. It's not going to get bigger by itself. The um, Whatever else values the company have, they're not going to grow magically by themselves. There will have to be people who, who do these things and there will be more valuable players and there will be valuable players, but not the most valuable players. And um, if you look at any sports team, They have uh, physiotherapists, masseuses, masseurs. Uh, they have uh, all kinds of PT. They have all kinds of dietary. They have psychologists. They have mental training, whatever. All kinds of things just to perform that little better. Mm -hmm. So why on earth don't we do that in business life? Why don't we do it? Yeah. Do you have any ideas? We don't. we don't. We don't. It's insane. We don't. So we we expect some as investors. I'm not. The people are waking up. So I'm not saying it's all dark. It's when I grew up as a CEO, there was no such thing, and it was just suck it up and um, perform. And if you don't perform, then the chairman will start to ask you, uh, "How are you?" And it's not necessarily a kind question because he really cares about your well-being but it's more about are you fit to do the job or do we need someone else to run the show here and um i think some of the approaches by some of the private equity and some of the venture capital community in the past it has become much better and we are now turning much more on a better path and i think covid helped a lot and many other reasons are helping us to become more aware that um to stay balanced to prevent burnout to focus on mental health, to focus on physical health, which are connected, and also emo and emotional health. All these three things are connected. And um, the job of a Z CEO can be very lonely, particularly if there's a split board or a disagreement of the board or a split ownership and not clear guidance from the owners. Or There are so many things that can happen in business life that can make you as the CEO extremely lonely because you can't share some of your inner doubts or problems necessarily with your team because they 
they're supposed to come to you with those things. So you're on top of that pyramid and, and you have to, you know, talk to the CFO who's a bit afraid of this or talk to the COO who thinks it's too much to us. The CTO was a bit worried about the technology not doing what it should or the head of sales thinking, oh, we're, not, we're never going to reach these targets and whatever. And their worries and also their private worries uh, with their families and whatever, and their well-being is your responsibility. So who is taking care of me as the CEO? If I have a healthy relationship with my chair and with the board, I can be quite open about these things. But that is never very well normally not the case because you can't afford that sort of a board when you're a young company, when you're um, SMB of sorts, you typically don't have a professional enough board with professional enough people who can take that message and, and take the warning signs and saying, hey, I think you need um, to go golfing with your friends this weekend, or you need to uh, actually slow down a bit because you're getting into the red zone here. You've been on yellow a long time, and we don't want you into the red because then the whole company is going to be at risk. So we are going to do some preventive maintenance instead. So this is about preventive maintenance. And that's preventing burnout, early detection of issues. And that's where I'm saying um, investors should invest more in their most valuable players. And um, it's a very low insurance premium. To And it's also a bit of a test. If you come to me and say, hey, you should do some coaching. And I think, huh. I don't need coaching. I'm super. Well, I already have shown that I have a problem because how receptive um, will you be to my ideas, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. So exactly, and uh, it's about humbling. Uh, it's about balancing, and uh, it's also the benefit for an investor is you know you'll get to know that person better because that person has to open up a bit. You can't cheat and talk to the mentor and ask, yeah, so how is she or how is he? You know, you can't do that, but you can talk about how was it? What did you learn? Do you think you needed more? Why not? You think you, you think you needed more? Okay, that's interesting. Why was it? You know, it becomes not just a talking point, but it becomes a catalyst for something much more important, which is uh, being much more open about the human factor and the fact that we human beings, we are not stable individuals. And we, there's lots of research on this. This is where Donald Kahneman, yes, he wrote Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. You should read it. It's a very important book. You should read it. It's a very important book. But also Noise, which, he, which I'm halfway through, by the way. And it's a heavy brick of a book, but it's very important because it talks about how we people make mistakes, about bias, about why we make wrong decisions and why we think we're making right decisions, but we're not. Mm. And, and, and how can you talk about these things if you are not also talking about the human factor of being in balance, being balanced or rebalancing? And, um, yeah. So I, um, for me, it has been, it's always sort of been there, but I think, um, it became much more clear when I met the guys at WeMe Facilitators, where I'm on the board now, and they're making a SaaS solution which makes um, coaching more easily accessible and to uh, using a bit of AI and etc to early detect amongst the large group of employees who is going into yellow and heading for red uh, i.e preventive uh, maintenance and the preventing burnout and um, meeting you Anna same thing a bit of an aha moment and um, Obviously, something people should take. This this is going to be more and more popular in the future, I'm, I'm sure. It's not a short trend. This is something a lot of people are talking about now. And um, investing in in the people is, uh, you know, much more efficient for effect than to invest in more people. You should invest in the people you have first. And then you can think of if you need more. And uh, also in the investing in more marketing or more of this or more of that, well, maybe you need to make sure that your people are uh, where they should be and that you have the right people on that first. So it, it's for human relation people and for recruiters and etc. this is pretty obvious, I guess. But I don't see yet the VCs who are saying, 
all of our CEOs should do this compulsory. Now you're in the family, you should do this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would do that. Yeah. and that's what I see starting happening. The guest of uh, my podcast, Janusz Barberis, is one of those examples. They put a statement in the agreement that 1% of their investment has to be spent on the well-being of the founding team uh, or lost. So that money is either there and spent on that invested or not there at all for the company. This is one of the ways of forcing that. And as we discussed in the article, you don't know what you, you don't know. So founders need to understand that that's a possibility and what that is they're saying no to. Uh, and then it has to be their choice to say yes or no to that. But investors can be the catalyst to actually raise awareness that this is a possibility. No, just saying, no, this is part of um, our insurance premium as investors. We, we want to, uh, if you're not receptible to that, um, maybe you haven't. You don't have the necessary qualities to work with us because you should um, be open to this. How can you say no to something you don't know what is? Exactly. And and I I don't I doubt how many people come to you and uh, at the end of it they say oh, this is a waste of my time. Maybe some zero do. in three years. No, zero. <laughs> okay, but uh, you know, but if someone does, you know, and I know, that's on them, not on you. And, Those and, are people who filtered is, in the sales process. That's the thing. I try to not go yeah. into the coaching relationship or mind relationship with people yeah. who. But uh, if, if you're an investor listening to this now, and, mm-hmm. uh, and thank you for the patience of listening to all my babbling for so long time. But if you are listening, you know, it's not going to cost you a lot. It's not going to hurt you. But it, think about all the things you learn from it and all the things you just, you know, see the reaction of your portfolio CEOs and portfolio management team when you do this and all of a sudden you're um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm confident it will pay off in the long run and I'm confident it will pay off in your relationship and in, in your cohesiveness and your in, in the ability to communicate well and your inability your ability to to talk about the difficult things in a better way and more confident way so you know it, it's a no-brainer and simple things like just sharing your vocabulary, <laughs> getting the concepts in the, your vocabulary to talk about those difficulties so that you're on the same page uh, is the important part. Arne, I know that we are well over the time and I so appreciate that you stayed a bit longer. Than I talk so I... much, you know, I talk so much, but uh, it's a pleasure to be here and, um, you know, uh, it's a journey. So um, we'll see if we do it again uh, in a year or something, and we'll see if we'll learn more along the way. But uh, thank you for taking me on the show, and uh, thank you for being you. Funny part here, ladies and, ladies and gentlemen, whoever listening, I've never met Anna in person, but um, that doesn't necessarily always need to happen, even though when you're talking about even private and sensitive things. That's pretty cool. This blows my mind how deep of a relationship I have with my clients, past clients like you, Arne, that really doesn't make, like, it doesn't make sense in a way, <laughs> if you think about it, that we've never met in person. But when you connect, you connect and you don't have to be in a physical presence with a person for that if you're open to properly connecting. I really, Thank really you. appreciate our relationship and uh, that our journeys have, have crossed and they keep intervening now and then and we keep in touch thank you so much so much it's a pleasure thank you for joining us for this episode of the genius leadership podcast if you enjoyed the conversation hit the subscribe button please rate review and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders for more conversations about living in your zone of genius connect with me on linkedin Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others, and it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.